Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of DFV. I am your co-host, Black Cinephile. And I am that other co-host, Brad. That is Brad. Brad, man, I just came back from a honeymoon on a cruise. It was beautiful. Yeah, it's uh, it's been two weeks since we last recorded because we did a double recording last time <laughs> in order to appease yeah. the break. Yeah, you know, I, I don't think you're supposed to let the the fans know that. I think you're supposed <laughs> to just leave that up to uh, podcast magic. Well, I'm just it's, saying, I, I, it's been two weeks since I last saw you. <laughs> right, right, right. Oh, man, it was so beautiful. Uh, we went to the Bahamas, man. Uh, we was on a, uh, the carnival boat. Um, you know, what people say about carnival, they basically say it's like the Walmart of cruise ships. <laughs> Is it accurate? It's, it's, it's one of the most affordable and, you know, you... you, uh, you you find all walks of life in there. I wouldn't say it's accurate. I mean, it was a fun time. A, a cruise ship is a cruise ship. Now, I've heard a cruise ship's worse than Carnival. But mm. uh, for my buck, I had a great time. It was very funny. Um, you know, had some great events on the ship, uh, great excursions and stuff like that. I enjoyed myself. That's good. Especially with, like, cruises and stuff like that. It comes down to you're pretty much stuck to the boat so right. if they don't have good entertainment on the boat you're not gonna have a good time listen if the food is trash i'm gonna be miserable the whole time the food wasn't trash the food was good that's good was it uh like an all you can eat kind of thing where they had like a spread yeah. of different stuff nice yeah they had they had a guy fieri's burger joint um i was disappointed it wasn't called flavor town but it was called Guy's Burger Joint. And I said, okay, close enough. They, it, it should be called Flavor Town, but okay. Uh, they had a great barbecue place, a great Mexican place, a deli, a buffet. It was very well put together, man. That's good to hear. Because, yeah, I was uh, curious how that was all going to go. Because I really haven't heard much about cruises since they started coming back in, like, I want to say 2022 is when they started coming back for real. Because they were still pretty yeah. much closed down in twenty one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I would uh I would I would recommend it to you, man. It's it's a terrific time if you want to get off at the ports at Jamaica or Florida Keys. I think that's the best time to stay on the cruise ship when everybody gets off at the ports. Because if I've already been in the Bahamas, I don't mm. I don't need to go again. I'm gonna stay up and uh enjoy this arcade room while all the kids are gone. Oh yeah. <laughs> You know, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to free roam the boat while everybody's off. Yeah, you're sitting there going, oh, Jimmy, I'm taking over your Pac-Man high score now. <laughs> you right, can't right, stop right. me. I, I There were many times where I went in the hot tub and it was all it was me all by myself. And I was just. <sighs> <sighs> oh, yeah, I could see that for sure, especially because at that time, the ports are filled with all the people from the boat. So it's yeah. probably super crowded anyway. Yeah. Ah, oh, man, I loved it. Great time. Great time. But uh, we're back and uh, it's that time again where we uh, do our little, uh, you know, double Oscar episode because the Oscars are coming up. Uh, so what we're going to do for these next two episodes, we're going to cover films that are uh, being nominated for Best Picture that we haven't done in separate episodes that we haven't done in previous uh, uh, double feature episodes. So for this first one, this first round, we got Banshees of uh, Anishirin. Anishirin. Oh, God. There's an I there. Yeah, Banshees of Anishirin. No, there's an I after the N. It's still pronounced Anishirin. All right, I'll take your word for it. So we got got Banshees versus All Quiet on the Western Front versus the Fablemans. All right, I'm uh I'm ready to hop into this. Uh, you know, chronological isn't really our thing, but I I think if we're gonna go that route, we'd have to do Banshees, then um all Western uh all quiet on the Western front, and then Fablemans. What, what do you think about that? You think that's a nice? I, I think that's a good lineup there, uh, especially right. since these ones are all so close to release. Mm -hmm. basically it's a toss-up especially when you count like the release date at uh festivals and everything like that and it's like okay which of these actually you know what let's just do chronological on theater release and just leave it at that otherwise we're going to sit here and debate on which order to do these in for the next hour Mm -hmm. yeah 
So that'll start us off with the Banshees of Inshirim, which is a story taking place in the city, well, the island of Inshirim, taking in Ireland, where we follow the friendship of Colum and Padrick, who are two people that have lived on the island their entire lives. But Colum has now decided that he no longer wants to be friends with Padrick due to the fact that he now finds him boring. And with the little life he has left, he wants to be able to do something to make a difference in the world or put his step in the world. And he feels like being friends with Padrick is going to hold him back from being able to do that. So throughout the film, we see these two clash as Patrick tries to convince Colum that they should continue to be friends and seeing Colum kind of trying to move on from their friendship along with making music, meeting other people, and overall just kind of watching him live a new life without him. And eventually things go to a very dark turn with uh, Colum eventually threatening you know, to take very deep actions if Patrick does not leave him alone. That is the summarization of this film. Summarization. I haven't heard that word since AP English. Yeah. Summarization. <laughs> oh, wow. I mean, this is the Oscars. We're, we're doing it right now. <laughs> you took me all the way back with that one. Um, yeah, man, you know, uh, Banshees of, uh, of, of, uh, of insurance. Um, you know, the, the writer director of this film, Martin, Martin McDonough, he's, he's made a lot of films that, um, that, uh, you know, have intrigued me. I think his best one, in my opinion, is seven psychopaths. Some would say in Bruges. Um, I know a big one was three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, but he's always a director that takes, you know, some of the most odd premises mm-hmm. and pulls something that's, um, you know, powerful out of it you know what i mean in bruges has two hitmen that are uh like uh you know in in bruges you know what i mean and uh you know there's some uh very deep moments in that film and in seven psychopaths and in three billboards so with a film like this you you take a simple premise of a guy that just doesn't want to be another man's friend anymore Mm -hmm. and uh you you add some alarming consequences to it you're gonna get some deep powerful moments out of that um i gotta say though with this movie compared to his other work, it it's a good it's a good movie. Great performances. It's a good movie, but I didn't I didn't think it was all that. Oh, see, I gotta disagree on that one. I thought this one was absolutely fantastic. I will say, hmm. I think Three Billboards is still one of my favorite movies that he's made. But Mm -hmm. this one, it stands up fairly close to it because you have this friendship and everything like that. And you get to see everything mostly from Patrick's point of view, where Mm -hmm. he basically goes to the pub. He's used to his daily routine and it's being thrown completely out of whack. So Mm -hmm. he's getting anxious and everything like that. Meanwhile, he's starting to kind of question what everybody else thinks about him, because if his best friend is going to come out and be like, you're boring, you're not worth being around. What does that mean about everybody else? And it kind of keeps going as he sees Colum kind of making music and, you know, starting to teach people how to make music. And especially when Colum goes like extremely dark and going, look, if you don't leave me alone, I'm going to start cutting off my fingers and I'm going to give them to you to remind you to leave me alone. And it's such a dark path and such a twisted path and everything that the reveal when he actually does cut off one of his fingers and literally throws it at Patrick's door is it, it basically it throws this movie from a okay, it's it's two friends clashing and everything like that to a very dark kind of drama. See, I just felt like that was a turn into into absurdity that I was like, all right, you know what? I'll go with it because of who made this movie. But I, I feel like in any other movie, I'd be like, it ain't that serious, man. Just stop talking to him. Mm-hmm. Like, like just, just, you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not that serious. But, you know, it's a Martin McDonald film. So like I say he, he sometimes takes a turn to the absurd. Um See, I, I want to talk about what I like about this film. Of course, it's the performances. You know, I think mm-hmm. everyone just gives their best here people saying this is colin farrell's best role i mean I, i'd have to go past his 
I have to go over his filmography to decide that, but he's he's pretty great in the role of Padraig. You know, you got a guy that is kind of dim. You know, he he is a little slow, but you know, he's he's got a lot of heart. And you could tell he's a um, he's a he's a get along type of fellow, you know, like, you know, you ask yourself who wouldn't want to be friends with this guy. But then when you look at Colm, you can kind of see how Padgett can be a little annoying. Yeah. You know what I mean, he, he's a very calm and collected kind of guy. Like he likes right. playing the violin. He likes kind of sitting down and having a pint. Yeah. And, you know, um, I love Brandon Gleason as Colm. Uh, uh, Carrie Condon was great as um. Was, was was it was it Shelbin? What was her name? It, it was. Uh, I, I can't remember how it's pronounced. Okay, uh, I would just say Shelbin, and if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Uh, so I I loved her in that role as um, Padraig's sister. Uh, Barry Kagan was uh, terrific as Dominic. You know, like the key the key players here are terrific in their roles. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just. The, it's just the storyline that kind of lost me a little bit. Like you know, I I like the build of it up into uh, up to the absurdity, you know, of of him cutting the fingers and everything. And I like how things kind of escalate as they do um, to a very dark aspect. But I don't know. It's like somewhere along the line, I was like, this film. I don't know. It's not as strong as his others. On its own, it's a solid movie. I I I, I kind of was uh I don't know I, I just. I wasn't feeling this one like others were. Okay. Because, yeah, this one, I think, is great at pulling, like, that depressing line of Mm -hmm. Patrick as he's kind of losing everything around him. Because you have the whole storyline of Dominic with his father being a police officer that beats him and everything. And then you have him being, like, the only friend of Dominic who is kind of there for him. And then when he shoves Dominic away, he ends up, you know, getting killed, uh, which is kind of left a little bit open on whether it was an accident or if it was something else, because his body is kind of just found by the river, if I recall correctly. So it's kind of left open if it was an intentional for him or if he did actually just slip and fall into the river. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I like how how that's kind of left ambiguous. Right. Um, and, and what did, yeah. And then you have like everything with uh Colum and, you know, it, cutting off his fingers and you have everybody else in town basically be like, "Look, just leave him alone. It, it's right. it's not worth it. Whatever you're trying to do, it is not worth it." But he he's this is literally his life. He has no other kind of friends in this town or anybody to depend on like Colum. So losing that and then eventually his sister moving away. It's just every step in this movie just sends him deeper, deeper into this like depressive state. And Mm. I remember there was one scene where his uh, sister is leaving and he's like standing on a cliff, like waving. And it was like, okay, I can see where this is going. And then it just, he turns around and walks away. It's like, Oh, okay. Well, I, I was expecting him to jump on that scene. Because you even had the Banshee, the one uh, older lady that was standing there watching him after she had said there's going to be two deaths in this uh, on this island very shortly. Right. Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, Yeah, I would say. I I hear I hear I hear everything you're saying, Um yeah, I, I there are times you expect it to take uh more of a more of a dark turn and it, it surprises you. I it's not it, I um I wouldn't argue that it's not a um subversive film. Mm-hmm. But I guess what I'd say is um just know, the plot like, wasn't there for you. It wasn't there for me. The comedy was there. Mm-hmm. I, I say the comedy was there for sure, but um the plot it just it just it didn't really it didn't go nowhere to me. I like the resolution. I like the final act and how everything ends up like I like how at one point the fingers that the guy throws um uh is it, swallowed by uh Colin Farrell's uh was it his billy guy? Uh, no, it was his donkey. His donkey. And the donkey means a lot to him and the donkey chokes on it pretty much. And um I remember how that really affected uh Colin and Colin's like I'm coming after you now. Like it, it's done. You really want it. You didn't. You really didn't want me as your friend. Now you're really gonna have problems with me. 
Well, I yeah. love that how when he goes to the bar, Patrick's like, look, it, your fat fingers killed my donkey. And mm-hmm. Colm's like, okay, so we're even now then. And Patrick's like, no, no, no. Now this is where it starts. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to burn down your house at two o'clock. I'm not going to see if you're there. Leave your dog outside because I have no issues with your dog. And But I'm burning down your house. Mm-hmm. And I love how he actually follows through with it all and everything. And, you know, we have the reveal at the end with Colm, like, standing at the beach because he decided to leave the house at some point while it was burning. But his remark is just, oh, thanks for watching over my dog for me. And that's it. Right, right. Hey, right. He's like, anytime, yeah. Uh, yeah, I like the resolution of it. It's very surprising on who ends up actually dead mm-hmm. out of all of this. Uh Makes it more tragic too, really, when you when you know the dynamic between the characters. Um, yeah, I was I was gonna say that one scene where he confronts him about the fingers. It reminded me of that scene from I don't know why. It reminded me of that scene from Anchorman, where uh, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, Will Ferrell did something. I, I think he ran over Jack Black's motorcycle or something, and Jack Black was like. You destroyed the one thing in this life I ever loved. He takes Will Ferrell's dog and just kicks it over. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that scene reminded me of that. But it reminded me of that. And, um, I don't know. I wasn't laughing during the scene, but in retrospect, I was like, wow, that's like a darker version of that Anchorman scene. But, um, yeah, I just, uh, I like the performances, man. Uh, the plot didn't sell me too much, but I, I like the performances. I think... Uh, well, you, you got anything else you want to say about this? You think Colin's going to take home Best Actor? Um, That one's a toss-up. There's there's a lot of great nominees for Best Actor this year. And mm-hmm. I can say, if he wins it, I wouldn't be disappointed. But at the same mm-hmm. time, if he didn't win it, it, this one's so loaded for the Best Actor. I don't think there's anybody that I'd be like, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of upset of that one. And, you know, I, I think he is in the running for it on this one, like, cause that yeah, performance as Patrick is fantastic. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, when looking at the other contenders, it's hard for me to go, Oh no, he, he, he was being, you know, ripped off from that. If he doesn't win. I'm, I'm, I'm really gunning for Brad and Frazier. I mean, he, he just nailed the whale. I don't know if you saw the whale, but, um, I, I don't think Colin would be a bad choice. Uh, I don't even think Austin for Elvis would be a bad choice to be honest you know yeah it's it like i said it's a loaded you know best actor for this mm-hmm. year where it's kind of it, it's hard for me to be upset about any of the nominees right 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 and that's that's usually rare right um yeah overall man i uh i get us a 3.5 yeah i i have this at a four I think it okay. stands very strong with that. You know, like you said before, the comedy in this is fantastic. And it also like has that extra punch where everything else in this is very like sad and somber. And then we have the little like jokes and everything. Like when he's telling uh, the student of column, like your father, or there was a message for you. Your father, he's uh, he's very ill. He, he got hit by a bread truck and you know, it's, it's, pretty common occurrence i know my mother was killed by getting hit by a bread truck i swear if it's the same bread truck (laughs) i'm gonna kill him right right but yeah it's i i i really enjoyed this movie i thought that it hit the strides that it was trying to hit great the acting was absolutely fantastic the background like music and everything was really well done and kind of brought into the atmosphere of this kind of lonely island and meanwhile, there's this whole like war going offshore that is kind of just alluded to throughout the movie. As, oh, yeah, we didn't even talk about that. Yeah, yeah I, I love how they use that as kind of a anchoring point toward, look, the war might seem like it's over right now, but th- you're going to hear gunshots again. And it's kind of like alluded to the fact that between these two, they're always going to be fighting from now on. Even when it might seem like there's a calm, like at the end of the movie, it it's not over yet. It, it's always going to be going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, 
All right. So you ready to move on? I am ready. All right. So what we got next on the table is All Quiet on the Western Front, the 2022 remake. Man. Uh, all right. Let's start off with a little thing. So uh, set during World War One. Um, this film uh, uh, centers around the main character of Paul uh, Beaumaire. I hope I'm saying that right. We'll just say Paul, a young German soldier, uh, very idealistic, who's uh, who enlists in the German army. Uh, basically, him and his friends feel like um, enlisting in the German army is like, uh, you know, it's, it's it's something that's awesome to do. It's an awesome like like feeling. You know, it's like, yeah, we're enlisting the army. We're men now. You know, we you know, we're, we're, we're serving our country. We're, we're um, you know. Where the shit, pretty much. Mm-hmm. Uh, little do they realize they get exposed very fast to the um, uh, to the term "war is hell," and they they face um, the grueling, uh, horrific experience that war can be. And um, this is pretty much uh, just following this one character uh, that that's um, this one character, Paul, through um, how he experiences war, uh, how he goes from being innocent to um, losing his innocence throughout. And that's that's the bare bones plot of All Quiet on the Western Front, dude. Man, talk about a bat out of hell, man. This film locks you in from the first frame. It, yeah, it basically starts off right at the war, where you're mm-hmm. in the trenches. We're introduced, you know, to Paul as he's coming in for the first time as a new recruit. He's being given the bag to collect the tags of the dead from mm-hmm. the previous day's battle. And immediately it's the, it holds no bars when it comes to just showing like the brutality of war and yeah. what it does to people, because you have all these characters that we slowly get to learn more about, you know, from their lives at home prior to the war, how they got enlisted into the war, how they hope that everything ends and the people they want to get back home to, whether it's, you know, wives, you know, mothers, children, or people that want to be able to start a family of their own. They all have a mm-hmm. purpose to come out of this. And I I love the characterization of this movie. I think some of the best parts of this movie are the parts where it's very, as the title puts it, quiet, where they're just standing around, they're talking with each other and everything like that. But it's the break in those kind of scenes with the actual war and everything even makes those more powerful scenes when they're being able to relax. Mm hmm. Yeah, and I think the lead performer who played Paul, um, this uh, for Felix uh, Kammerer, uh, this was a terrific breakthrough performance for him. He perfectly captures a character that slowly loses his innocence when he learns about war uh, throughout this film. I mean, like just his his facial expressions, mm-hmm. you know, his, his this is a guy who the camera pretty much loves. You know what right. I mean? Like like he he he's very magnetic in this lead role. Yeah, uh, I agree. But one thing with this movie, I'm curious. Did you watch this one with the English dub or the original German dub? Oh, you know how I am, man. I, I got to watch it in this, in this original language. I can't do that dub stuff. See, I didn't realize that it was an English dub of this movie until they were kind of like standing around and talking. And I was like, the lip movements aren't synced. Is the audio like uh, off by like 10 seconds? And yeah, so I started watching it and everything like that, because most of the scenes your people are talking from behind them. You know, the camera has like behind people's heads as they're talking or it's very far away shots. And so I didn't realize it was a dub until I was kind of going, hold on, that's not matching correctly. You know, did the audio get out of sync? And I was watching it on Netflix. And my first thought was, of course, Netflix, you you would pull this on me. And no, no, it just turns out that uh, the English (laughs) dubbed version was the default language on Netflix. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, that that happens sometimes. But I I made sure um, this is what the Internet is for. Right. And I kept hearing everybody around um, for your consideration time saying, um, yeah, you know, best foreign language film. I'm like, oh, that's a foreign language film? So I would hear through word of mouth that it was foreign language before I actually, you know, 
watched it. Oh, see, I had no idea. So it's about like 30 minutes into the movie. I finally switched it over to the German to well, watch how, it in German and everything like that. But how, I, how I was going to say, how was it performed? Was it performed well? I think it was performed fantastically. Uh, I mean, first off, okay. I couldn't even tell until I was literally staring at people's lips and going, that that doesn't match what they're saying. And my first instinct wasn't even, oh, it's redubbed. <laughs> my first instinct was, ah, damn it, Netflix, your your audio's lagging. How is this happening? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man, yeah, it's a it's a German picture. But um, well, I'll take your word for it if you say it's, it's just as good dubbed. But um, yeah, I, I watched this with the original the original spoken language. Mm-hmm. But uh oh yeah, man. Terrific film, man. I, I loved it. I, I feel like it, it had some and you know, even though the gore was intense, like the war scenes are very much war. Mm-hmm. You know, this ain't you ain't watching John Wick here. You, I mean, it's it's intense. It, it, there is your adrenaline pumping, but it's it's a it's kind of a, a dark intensity. You yeah, I mean? it's a more realistic one where you're not seeing yeah. you know blood all over the place, but you are seeing some grotesque scenes, like somebody's leg being blown off, uh, soldiers that just want the pain to stop, so they you know end their own life in order to make it go by quicker, and it, those are all powerful scenes and everything like that. But yeah, it's not an action movie by any regard Uh, most Mm. of the scenes of like people getting hurt you're seeing the after effect of it not it happening in the moment the only ones i can think of where you really see it happen in the moment are the toward the end of the movie there's the two deaths that are very like Mm -hmm. close up and then prior to that it's the one soldier that kills himself with the I can't remember if it was a knife or a fork that he just stabbed right through his throat in order to end himself because he I can't remember what happened to it. He was shot somewhere and they had like patched him up, but he was just in so much pain. He wanted it to end. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I know. I know what scene you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Very intense. Uh, I I agree with what you said about the best moments are like the quiet moments. Um, I would completely agree with that. Uh, one scene. I liked was uh, when they're all just sitting around and these, these, uh, these women come by mm-hmm. and these soldiers like look at them and stuff. And then one soldier kind of just follows them and <laughs> he follows them and he never comes back. He, he just, he just oh, walks yeah, off the, the French women. <laughs> right. And uh, I thought about that and, you know, and you see the look on everyone's face, like this, this dude just leave us, mm-hmm. you know, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, you, you want to go off with two beautiful women or you want to be stuck in in a hellish war. Right. You know I mean, but, you know, like I I, uh, I thought that was a nice odd scene. Um, but yeah, man, overall, just uh, just terrific film, bro. I had this at um number eight on my top 10 of 2022. And I, I just think it's well deserved. I it's very shy of a five. I mean, it's I mean, it's right there. But I, I give it I give it a four point five. See, this one is where I kind of got to differ from you a little bit. While I agree that the atmosphere is amazing, the characters are great and everything like that, the quiet moments mm-hmm. are great, but when it comes to being a World War II movie, it, one. or World War One movie, it mm-hmm. kind of falters a little bit because we have so many great war movies that mm-hmm. uh, do a fantastic job. 1917, we have Dunkirk. You know, when I'm thinking of like great war movies, this one, the war seemed to be like a background thing to what I thought were the better parts of this movie with the soldiers talking, with seeing like the agreements in the. I'm trying to remember, like the generals kind of coming to terms right, with a right, ceasefire yeah. and stuff like that. I found that to be the more interesting part of this movie. Not so much the part where they're in the trenches, where they're going through the battles and everything. I think mm-hmm. other movies handled that a lot better. Uh, well, I I guess I'd argue that, that that's down to perspective, right? I mean, like mm-hmm. Dunkirk had a specific type of perspective. He looked at it from land, air, and sea. Right, yes. You know what I mean? Um, 1917 was made made to look like a continuous shot following these two soldiers front and back through the war. You know, I feel like All Quiet on the Western Front had a specific perspective, and that's from the perspective of this young man 
and uh through this um general that's um trying to stop this war and it's it's, it's a great juxtaposition because you got this young man that's really thrown in this crappy hellish situation like in the mm-hmm. dumps and you got this one man that's you know drinking tea smoking cigarettes <laughs> saying you know hey we uh we gotta stop this war man you know like it, it's 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 a very like harsh jarring juxtaposition that i feel like like works as a world war one film you got the you got the people on the top and the people that shovel the crap down below the soldiers right. yeah and i see all that and everything like that it's just this one it didn't hold me as high as some of the other kind of like war movies that kind of tell the story of world war. And I thought it would, again, characterization. Great. Uh, I absolutely loved like the scenes where they were kind of being able to be themselves and talk about their lives and, you know, how this war is affecting them and everything like that. It's just the scenes of war were a down. I don't want to say downer is in like, Oh, it made me sad, but it was the least entertaining part of this movie, which it for me, it kind of brings it down a little bit because during those scenes, I was kind of like, okay, yep, firing. Okay, there's a guy with his leg blown off. Okay, oh, he's running again. And there didn't it didn't have tension in those scenes to me. You know, mm-hmm. even leading up to like the final battle and stuff like that, I think that was the first time like the war scenes actually had some tension when, you know, he was being like drowned in the puddle and everything like that. It's like, okay, this this might actually be it. And then he survives that, and then we get like the twist where he ends up being stabbed and dying anyway shortly after that, like just seconds before the ceasefire was set to commit. You know. But prior to that, right. all the war scenes kind of just were passable to me i hear you i hear you um yeah i gotta respectfully disagree i i i all around love this movie I, I thought it was great i thought it had a great message to it i uh i enjoyed it yeah but uh for me this one is uh it's a solid 3.5 mm, okay okay fair enough fair enough And that brings us to the third and final movie we are going to be talking about today, The Fableman. And Mans. Fablemans. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) My bad. The Fablemans, uh, which follows the story of a young boy named Sammy that Mm -hmm. is based heavily on the life of Steven Spielberg himself as he kind of grew up trying to become a film creator looking to after watching his first film getting entirely encapsulated by this world that you can create these impossible situations and bring them to life using moving pictures he slowly devolves into grabbing different cameras learning new techniques to film as Mm -hmm. we watch him grow up and slowly become a filmmaker with his friends doing things for school, everything like that. Meanwhile, fighting his family who believes that this is just a hobby. This isn't a career. Mm. You know, it's, it's a hobby. It's what he's doing right now, but he has such a passion for it that he wants to continue fighting to be able to do it for real. Eventually Mm. getting to the point where he has amazing camera equipment he has the directing ability he gets great people that are around him with his friends that support his dreams and make movies with him and it's a great coming of age story showing the you know the the coming up of steven spielberg hollywooded of course but Mm -hmm basically telling it. And I love how this is actually written and directed by Steven Spielberg himself, basically mm-hmm. telling his young childhood story of getting into filmmaking. Yeah. You know, when I saw this film, this film got a uh, compared to like a, a couple other films that came out um, this past year, empire of light by Sam Mendes. And there was another one that I, I can't bring to my mind right now, but it was basically films about, Oh, Babylon. So basically it was about films that pay homage to cinema itself that um, are reflective of their uh, their filmmakers love for cinema. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you could tell this is Spielberg's, you know, it's autobiographical, semi autobiographical, but it's really his love letter to cinema. 
you know, and uh, with that, you know, you get the you get the best of Spielberg. You know, you got you got things that are full of full of wonder, you know, beauty, emotion, wholesome, you know, moments. And, you know, then you get things that are a little bit too wholesome, a little bit too dreamy, mm. a little bit too polished. As you said, the Hollywooded version of um, the rise of young Steven Spielberg. You know, I feel like you get the best of both worlds of Spielberg in this film. And I, I know this film got a lot of meh reception. I don't I don't think it's a meh movie, though. I feel like when you and we're going to get into it, when you take it all in. I think this is a this is a nice cute movie. I think it's a cute movie. It, it very much is because it, when we're first introduced to the family and everything like that, uh, the little boy Sammy is like scared of going to see the movie. You know, he's like, "But the you said the people on are giants, and I, uh, I don't want to see a giant. No, 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 they're giants on the screen. See." And then it has his father, who is an extremely brilliant person when it comes to technology, explaining everything behind what makes it happen, where he's even going into the detail. And this shows just how much care was put into, like, trying to make this a love letter to cinema with all the little details, like different cameras, different shutter types, you know, different filming techniques of kind of going, look, it's really 24 pictures every second that are flashing by. But they're put in that uh, you notice them at like this interval of seconds and it tricks your brain into thinking the pictures are moving in a sequence. And we mm-hmm. kind of see like different filming techniques as, you know, he films with different angles, different cameras, different lighting to kind of, again, show the love letter of cinema and right. how it came up to be as powerful it is now, especially when it comes to like special effects, him getting the train set and everything like that and being able to like crash it to reenact the movie that he had seen, uh, which I think was called the greatest show ever or something like that. What is thought, the greatest show on earth? It, uh, was it? I thought it was the searchers, wasn't it? Oh, yeah, you're right. The greatest yeah. show on earth. My bad. Yeah, the the train one was, uh, and I, I love how like immediately he he wants to recreate this scene that he had, you know, from the movie in how it was done and everything like that with his own little toy car with his own little figurine and everything like that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's it's absolutely an adorable movie at the start, and it starts getting into this kind of deeper, you know, family drama. And him trying to figure out what he wants to do versus what his family thinks he should do. Uh, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that. Um, I think it's a nice, cute movie. Like, I, the thing about the beginning, when he's a kid and he's kind of, like, terrified of the screen a little bit, but mystified mm-hmm. by it, that's kind of my response to, like, Man, I think way back, I think the earliest film I can remember seeing in theaters is Armageddon. It's 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 between Michael Bay's Armageddon and Roland Emmerich's Godzilla. Um, okay. People, listen, I love Godzilla. I know people don't think too fondly of it now, but I I love Roland Emmerich's Godzilla, and I just remember seeing like Armageddon. You know that that big moment at the end when you know spoiler alert. I mean. You, I hope y'all seen this by now. You know, Bruce Willis dies. I, I mean, if you yeah. haven't, it, you missed your shot. It's it. <laughs> right. Come on, man. Um, and you got that Aerosmith uh, credit credit sequence where Steve, Steven Tyler is singing the song. Like just that whole moment. Because I think we snuck into Armageddon and then we went to see Godzilla. Um, two massively big uh, action packed movies. Like I remember as a kid, like being a little terrified at the same time of being intrigued. Then you had the, the trailer of the mask of Zorro with Antonio Banderas playing before Godzilla. And you just had Antonio Banderas walking on screen, doing a Z motion with his sword on, on the screen. I was like, man, that looks so cool. Mm-hmm. That's my earliest memory as a kid of going to the movies. So I can, I can wholly relate to, um, you know, Steven Spielberg as a young kid in the, in the movies, being terrified but intrigued at the same time. That's why I said, like, you know, this movie, I, I feel like there's there, there's more to the surface of it, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And then you have, like, everything going on with his family, with the whole drama there. Uh, mm. The fact that Seth Rogen was in this was, like, a completely out of left field to me as soon as, like, he popped yeah. in. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, in in hindsight, I don't know if he's the best one for this man. Like I, I but like he did fine for the role he was mm. in, but I was like, I don't think we needed Seth for this one. Like, I, I like do you? What do I, you think? I can say if, when it came to the rest of the cast, it I saw them as their characters. Right. When it right. came to Seth Rogen, though, Seth Rogen is such a character himself that it's hard to see mm-hmm. him as somebody else. I was almost expecting to laugh. <laughs> right, Peter yeah. Peter Griffin laugh, he does. I was like, please don't do the laugh. Please don't do the laugh. <laughs> Luckily, he didn't uh, do the laugh. Yeah, he didn't do the laugh. Um, I thought he was fine. He was fine, but he was a bit out of place. I, I would I would definitely say that. I think he was there to be Seth Rogen. Right. Not Seth. As the name, not as Seth, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, ugh, dude, Paul Dano, man. I mean, this guy is a chameleon. He, uh, he is so great. Paul Dano is underrated. It, like, you, yeah, it's he's one of those people that it comes down to. You see him on the title screen, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's him. You know? Yeah. You know, I when you go from There Will Be Blood to you know the batman 12 years a slave and now you got this movie you could play a horrific person um an anarchist uh you know a sneaky person and then just a wholesome father like like that's just that's acting yeah i mean that's acting um michelle williams is terrific as um as as the mother of mitzi you know another underrated actress you know what i mean like someone that like i want to say before this film I mean, she's always been applauded, but, you know, I feel like this film, her being in this role will probably, like, put her in more mainstream conversations of great actresses. Mm-hmm. She was already there, but, you know, I feel like for a while she had been underrated. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it, the casting in this movie is, it, I want to say, pretty spot on for everybody, you know, because mm-hmm. uh, even, you know, Gabriel LaBelle as Sammy, the main mm-hmm. character absolutely pulls it off as this like very you know awkward ish kind of person that's trying to fit in and trying to find out like where his place in life is uh like the scene where after he's been broken up with and he's premiering his movie and he's you know the emotion on his face is he's Mm -hmm. kind of everybody's enjoying something he worked hard on but he's just been heartbroken you know right moments earlier and it's it's a hard thing to depict like that confused state of just being completely broken apart but happy about something happening at the same time and he pulled it off wonderfully I like got, you could see it on his face oh yeah yeah terrific performer i got to say and and this is why watching a spielberg film is watching a masterclass in filmmaking that whole montage of him like discovering the secret that you know that that Seth Rogen and Michelle Williams character are, are having an affair. Mm-hmm. Like how he's going past, he's going over the clips over and over again, compared with the music score. He's he's re looking at the clips through the thing. Like I thought that was that was that was great, man. Mm-hmm. Like that's that, that's why we love Spielberg because he brings that kind of emotion out of uh like 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 uh, moments of revelation like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and just touching on a point you made when it comes to the score, Spielberg never misses. I don't think there's a single Spielberg movie where the score didn't pull in the exact emotion every scene is supposed to have absolutely Mm -hmm. perfectly, Mm -hmm. and this movie is no exception. He definitely works with the best people to bring these movies to life from a sound perspective, and I love how even with the movies that Sammy makes – you know, there, there's no speaking role. It's they're playing music over the movie in order to give it a soundtrack. So mm-hmm. it, I love how they even use that to its advantage in this film to use music that encapsulates the movie you're watching, as well as the emotions of everything that's going on around him at the same time. Yeah, definitely. Uh, another great thing I say like this two scenes, uh, it contain scenes, but two scenes very worthy of a best supporting actor nom. Well, one the the guy that's actually nominated, uh, Judd Hirsch, man. I mean, you you gotta love him for playing, um, you know, Sammy's granduncle 
and that whole little monologue he gives him about passion and everything in the bedroom like like yeah. like yeah. you know he got nominated for that short scene did he really what was his yeah. name boris right yeah yeah. Yeah. I love how during that he talks about, you know, I joined the circus because it's where I felt that I was at home. It, you know, you have family and you have what you love and they're going to tear you apart until you figure out which one is more important to you. And no matter what, you're not going to make the right choice in somebody's eye. And so you had to do what you think is the most right. And I love that later in the movie, they play the, uh, I'm trying to remember what song it was, but the circus song was mm-hmm. playing as he was like making his movie. Uh, I think it was while he was filming at the beach. They were playing, mm. you know, and it's like here he is finding his circus. And it's like another point where the soundtrack is just on point for this movie. And meanwhile, it's going back that callback to the message that Boris was telling him, you know, you need to find your circus more or less. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he had a terrific scene. Um, I wanted to compare that uh, with, uh, you know, this is my guy, man, uh, David Lynch, uh, <laughs> in the final scene as John Ford. I just love how he's just so he just like like uh, you know John Ford's a big director, mm-hmm. um, so you know he uh, you know Sammy comes in, and he's like, yo, sir, I'm such a fan, you know, because he he gets, he has an internship with the show, I think, or something, and he says, uh, look, kid. You see that painting over there? He says, yeah. He says, now where is... Uh, or no, he? first it was, tell me what you see. <laughs> right, right. And then after a while, he asks him, like, you know, where's the horizon? <laughs> he says, so it's on top. And he says, where else is it? And then he says, it's on bottom or something like that. Mm-hmm. And he goes, uh, you know, um, he goes, uh, if the horizon isn't on top or isn't on bottom, the movie's crap. Yeah, like, you know. the movie's gonna be boring. If you want it to be interesting, the horizon's on the top or on the bottom. Dude, and I love how he just goes, "Thank you, sir." Yeah, he just leaves, and I, I, I like the, mo- I like what the film does, where it, it tilts the camera up to have the horizon on top and then have it on bottom, <laughs> and then it ends. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah, it, the movie is definitely self-referential in that aspect. Uh, yeah, it that also got me where it was like. Okay, movie, touche. You you pulled you pulled that off. You you made the statement and then you pulled it. <laughs> mhm. Yeah, I thought that was really funny. Um this movie's got a lot of heart, man. I I think the subplot of him falling in love, well, starting a relationship with the girl that was, you know, crazy about Jesus and everything. I think that joke was kind of played too long. I don't know. Like, I thought I, it was funny. Uh You did? I I I thought it was funny. I didn't think that one went on too long. I think every time it came up, it came up as a different enough kind of angle to it, you know, where like eventually he gives her the necklace and it's like, oh, you found Jesus at a jewelry store. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I don't know. I didn't care too much for that subplot. I thought it was a little distracting. Um, but I wanted to say, you know, one of the best pieces of dialogue in this film, you know, he's, he's talking with one of the bullies. You know, one of the bullies that's, uh, you know, in line with the the huge anti-Semitic bully. Mm-hmm. And he says to him, like, hey, you, you trying to make a joke with that uh, film you showed in there where you, you showed me as this big Superman guy? He was like, look, man, for nine minutes, I made you fly. Like, mm-hmm. I made you look like you could fly, you know, and you're looking at me like I'm less than nothing but because of my, you know, ethnicity, you know, because of my, you know, you know, because I because I'm Jewish. Like, I felt like that was such a telling line. Like, you know, Spielberg can really make anyone fly. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and filmmakers who can, like, who are really good at what they do can make anyone fly. That speaks to the power of cinema. Oh, this yeah. This guy looked at him, looked him, looked at him as less than nothing. And then because of the power, the magic he did through his camera and his editing, oh, now, you know, you know like, like now he could actually be somebody. Um, the scene is complex because it's like the guy doesn't know whether he's trying to mess with him or not. The bully doesn't know whether he's trying to mess with him or not. And, you know, he, he's pretty much just telling him, like, you know, like respect me, man. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, I love Sammy's line with that where it even says, you know, look, I don't know if I was trying to make you feel bad for five minutes or if I was trying to just make a great movie. Either way, that's what happened. <laughs> right. You know, I feel like it's a, it's a it's a nice complex moment. 
um, that can like be looked at in different ways. Um, yeah, I, I ain't gonna lie. Like this, this film has some really great moments. There's so there's very there's a lot of lulls in the plot though. Like you know, they, there was when I'm going when you're going about the plot and you're seeing Sammy grow up and they're shooting the scenes and stuff like that of his whatever movie he's planning. It, it kind of dragged a little bit for me. Mm. It, it did. It, it had some different moments where things kind of took a weird turn and stuff. Like the whole his mom getting a monkey subplot kind of thing was odd, and I <laughs> I didn't understand that at all. If that was some kind of like joke or reference or something like that, that. I, I didn't get it. Yeah. I it, yeah, I, I took a left that. I was like, oh, okay, funny family moment. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I just looked at it with what it was. Um but yeah, man, I think uh I think this film is better than how some people how some people were rated. Because a lot of people looked at this as like they were like they were geeked for this. It's like, oh, we're gonna see the rise of Spielberg told by Spielberg. Mm-hmm. And I think some people felt kind of underwhelmed by it. I wasn't underwhelmed. I felt like I, I got what I asked for. You know, I got a little bit of a little bit of slow moments with what I with what I got. But I feel like more or less this is a Spielberg told version of Young Spielberg. Mm-hmm. Um, and with that, I'll give this a three point five. Really? See, that's where I, I'm going to have to go uh, the opposite of you again here. And this this is a four to me i it, it okay. exactly as I you said about to say, i thought you were about to say worse i was like what oh yeah no <laughs> oh okay. no this one uh it, it's exactly what i expected it's a spielberg movie telling the story of spielberg in the most spielberg way possible and there's i gotta say like even the lulls in this movie don't make me go oh this is bad it makes me go okay so it's still got the spielberg isms where he wants to throw mm-hmm. a little bit more heart into it he wants to throw a little bit more of a subplot here he wants to have that family dynamic be a central p- plot point and because it's about his growing up of course he's going to have his family in there because he wants to tell the story the best that he can in the most interesting way that he can mm-hmm Mm-hmm, definitely um yeah man, i i just i i enjoyed this film i i thought it was pretty good for what it was so if we are gonna if we're just gonna come down to it if we're gonna like combat all these three together it seemed like you you were really feeling banshees and fableman and i i, I think out of everything i got i got all quiet as number one so what i don't know who what wins to you uh to me i think fableman's wins this one mm. Okay. Yeah, that's it. When it comes down to these three, uh, again, Banshees actually, act, you know, has that character-driven focus that I think is done really well. You know, All Quiet on the Western Front has a really good character-driven focus, but is kind of pulled down a bit by the war and everything that's going on. And then Fableman's is overall a fantastic well-rounded movie that I think pulls in the great cinephile kind of strings while also making a movie that the family can enjoy without getting all the references and the little nods to cinema and Steven Spielberg's life. Mm-hmm. All right. Makes sense. Makes sense. Uh, all right. Uh, moving on from that, we're going to move into uh, after show topics uh i'll say this uh i'll say this i saw two films one of them was cocaine bear all i gotta say uh you can check out my review on 8bitwaffles.com we're gonna gonna do an episode on it (laughs) yeah i'm gonna reserve my thoughts for that episode but uh yeah i I ain't yeah i'll save my thoughts but uh uh i saw creed three what did you think of that one Dude, I got to tell you, it was a total surprise. Like, you know, with the Rocky films, I always like Rocky. Rocky's the underdog. It's, it's, it's Sylvester Stallone's best role. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michael B. Jordan is great as Adonis Creed's son. But it's like, you know, after a while, you kind of get a little bit of... Uh, you start to get a little bit of um, a stagnant feeling about films that, that, that start to go towards uh, their third film. 
you know, mm-hmm. like it's different for John Wick films, you know what I'm saying? Because John Wick was just like on 10 the whole way through. But it's like with certain franchises about boxing, it's like, well, how 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 else can you do it? Like, you know, like how 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 more exciting can you film a boxing uh sequence? You know, how much more exciting can you film the life of a boxer? You know what I mean? Like like the Rocky films, Sylvester Stallone's charm carried the whole series. Mm-hmm. And you know, you got Ivan Drago, you got Mr. T's character. So you're looking at Creed, like, well, how is Creed going told the story already? You you brought back Ivan Drago's son, but you're gonna bring back Mr. T's son for three, <laughs> you know. But wait, is that Creed, the twist Creed, in three? It's it's Mr. T's son. No, no. Okay. Um, it's not. But Creed three, man, uh it, it surprised the heck out of me. Like I it, it was a terrific film, and it might be the best in the series so far. Really? Yes, the best in the Creed series to me. Michael B. Jordan uh, takes over as lead actor and director this time around. So he's he's uh, he's basically picking up the mantle from Sylvester Stallone, who took over as director uh, around uh, when Rocky II came along. Um, yeah, man, uh, terrific job for a directorial debut, man. I mean, the action sequences, the 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 the, the fight sequences, the emotion. Everything is key pitch, and Jonathan Majors uh, steals the show. Really? Okay. I'm, listen, I'm surprised. I'm saying this. You know, when I when I heard about Creed three, I was like, "Oh, that's still going on." <laughs> you know, I was like, "All right, I guess I'll see it." Um, yeah, man, thoroughly surprised me, man. And um, the way the last the last boxing sequence was filmed, you probably already heard about it. I know you're a Dragon Ball Z fan. Mm-hmm. There's a there's a moment during the last boxing sequence that's like an homage to a Dragon Ball Z fight that I was like, man, I I I ain't never seen that before in cinema. Yeah, I've I've heard about it and I plan to see the movie. It's just a matter of if I'm gonna catch it in theaters or catch it when it comes on to streaming. But yeah, it because Michael B. Jordan is such a huge fan of anime, he mm-hmm. put a lot of homages and inspiration from different anime fights into this movie. Uh, everywhere from I've heard the training sequences have some references to different anime scenes. Uh, yeah, there's you know the fight has multiple references to anime scenes, and apparently there's one that's even like almost shot for shot like cinematography wise with the angles and everything from a fight scene from uh i'm trying to remember what anime everybody mentioned it from but and then obviously there's the dragon ball z references and everything like that it's so i i know that when i watch it i'll probably catch all those and my little like nerd brain is gonna go oh like all giggly at every single one of those references and i'll forget that i'm watching a boxing movie yeah, man, I very well done. Very well done. You're not watching this film for the plot. The mm-hmm. plot, it, it, it's predictable. It's Creed. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You 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 know who to root for in this, but you're watching it for the performances and the direction. You know what I mean? Like it, it's the energy between Jonathan Majors and Michael B. Jordan that keeps the film going. You know, Tessa Thompson is great. Felicia Rashad is great too. But you know, it, it's it's the main conflict between these two guys that just makes this film so special. And yeah, the fight sequences. Um, that last fight is built for IMAX screens. Okay. Because uh, yeah, it, it was terrific, man. I would honestly, you can read my review on 8bitwaffles.com for this too. Um, this is this is a this is a four out of five to me, man. Really? Okay. I was surprised because I was like, how far are you gonna take the Creed character? Like you know, but you what you notice is in Rocky Three, the best thing about Rocky Three was the insertion of Mister T. You had this unstoppable foe that knocked Rocky on his ass, like you know, and and he was he was an unstoppable character. You got the same thing with this character in Creed Three, except he's an old friend of Adonis from back in the day. So it's it's a little bit it's it's even more you know repressed emotion and rage there. Um, Yeah, man, Jonathan Majors stole the show. I know people like him as Kang. Um, this is another one to add to the roster, uh, you know, just in time. Like, uh, yeah, he was terrific in this. That's good to hear. Cause yeah, most of the things I had heard about this movie were people going, Oh my God, the anime references. Oh my God, the anime references. And all I can yeah. think is I want to hear from somebody that isn't an anime nerd that actually noticed the rest <laughs> of the movie. 
Well, I, I guess I'm an anime guy in training, but uh, I didn't catch a lot of references except for the final fight, which I was like, yeah, this looks like a Dragon Ball Z fight. Um, okay. Yeah. What? Very good movie. I, I enjoyed it. That's good to hear. Yeah, Which, I might have uh, to pick this one up and uh, get a ticket for it to see it. For sure, I, I would. I would recommend it. What? Uh, what have you seen? Uh, recently, basically this. These. I've been on vacation. So while you were on your cruise, uh, I did a family vacation down in Florida for a couple nice. days and everything like that. So I was doing that. Then up here, there was the recent Astronomicon just ended so mm. going out to that and seeing people that were kind of traveling up here for the convention and everything like that and hanging out that that's what i've been doing you know i haven't been sitting and watching movies too much the last couple weeks gotcha it's funny you were in florida i had to go down to florida to get on the cruise oh d- oh is that where you were yeah, I had to. Uh, I went to Orlando, and that's where we caught the cruise, and they went to the Bahamas. Okay, that's that's where I was in Orlando. <laughs> oh wow, man, we was we was near each other. We, that's we, funny. I, I wonder what the like time frame was for us missing each other at the airport, kind of <laughs> thing was, or did you drive down? I uh, we drove down. Oh okay, but yeah, that, that's, that, awesome. that's funny. That is funny. Um, all right, y'all. We'll catch you on the next one. We're uh, final three. We got uh, we got we got triple threats here. We got triple T's. We got Tar, Top Gun Maverick, and Triangle of Sadness. All right. Uh, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Uh, don't forget to keep watching movies. Keep loving movies. Take care.